welcome to Get On The Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers, take charge of your health. Today's episode focuses on good gut health, why it's important and what to look out for and what to do to get your gut back in check. According to the Centers for Disease Control, in 2015, an estimated 3 million U.S. adults reported being diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease, either Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. This was a significant increase from 1999, which saw 2 million adults affected. Our guest is Dr. Matthew Grisham, Chair and Professor in the School of Medicine's Department of Immunology and Molecular Microbiology. Dr. Matthew Grisham, thank you so much for coming on our podcast Please tell us a little bit about what you do at the Health Sciences Center and what your background and experience is in. Thank you very much, Melissa. I actually was an inaugural graduate student. We were in the inaugural PhD class at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center in the late 70s and went through my PhD program in biochemistry here in Lubbock. And then following graduation in 82, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where I did my postdoctoral fellowship at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and then following a move to the University of South Alabama for two and a half years, I ultimately ended up at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in Shreveport for 25 years, where I studied uh, a variety of different gastrointestinal disorders, but ended up focusing most of my time on studying the immunopathogenesis of inflammatory bowel disease. I was then recruited back here to Lubbock in 2012, where I'm currently chair and professor in the Department of Immunology and Molecular Microbiology. We've continued to study inflammatory bowel disease as well as acute graft versus host disease. Thank you. What can you tell us overall about what uh, the gut tells us about our health? Well, the gut is incredibly important, as you know. We normally think about the gut as being one of the major organs where we absorb nutrients from the diet, which it does, of course. But probably as importantly, or in some cases more importantly, it is a major immune tissue, an immune organ. In fact, more immune cells are found in the intestinal tract than are found in all other tissues that have immune cells. Uh, This is important for growth and development of the immune system, education of the immune system, so that our immune system in the gut doesn't attack normal bacteria or foods that are being ingested. This is something that's very, very critical. The gut in concert with gut bacteria are important for the education and the development of our immune system as we grow from neonates up to adulthood and beyond. What are some common diseases that are associated with poor gut health? Poor gut health can um, occur uh, from a variety of different situations. For example, through the lack of ingestion of important food materials such as protein, carbohydrates, and sugars, we can have underdeveloped 
gut tissue as well as underdeveloped immune systems. What we eat is also what will establish a healthy gut microbiota. The, the microbiota is composed of primarily uh, bacteria, but we also have a number of different viruses, good viruses that live in our gut that provide us with health, as well as a variety of other different cell types. And so there's, it's really a collaboration between our nutrition, the gut microbiota, and the immune system that keeps us healthy. What would a person feel with poor gut health, or what are the kind of diseases that come from this poor gut health? Well, the poor gut health in general, you know, it, it can be a, due to a variety of pathogens or contaminated food. The diseases associated with the gut that are probably most prevalent to the audience are uh, diarrheal diseases where we inadvertently are infected with a gut pathogen that induces fluid release by the gut, and that's what generates the diarrhea. It can also be due to a genetic predisposition to reacting to normal foodstuffs such as gluten. And this is what happens in celiac disease. You get this gut inflammation that results in chronic diarrhea. That can be taken care of relatively easily by emitting gluten from the diet. The other group of gastrointestinal diseases that we're very interested in are the inflammatory bowel diseases. These are a group of chronic inflammatory diseases of both the upper and lower gastrointestinal tract, primarily localized in the small intestine and in the large intestine, also called the colon. These two diseases, there's two major uh, forms of the inflammatory bowel diseases. One is Crohn's disease. This is an inflammation, a chronic inflammation of the generally of the small intestine, but can involve the colon. And the other major inflammatory disease is ulcerative colitis, which by definition is a chronic inflammatory disease of only the large intestine of the colon. Those are the two best characterized, and they can constitute more than 3 million people can suffer from these two diseases. When I first got into the business and began investigating, doing research in the inflammatory bowel diseases, there was relatively little money available because it affected a relatively small number of patients. Unfortunately, in my lifetime, I'm a child of the 50s and early 60s. Just in my lifetime, the prevalence and incidence of the inflammatory bowel diseases has increased exponentially such that we have many more individuals being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease than we ever did when I was a student or early on in my career. And this has a huge impact on medical cost because these are chronic diseases. You don't necessarily die from these diseases but you may have them most of your life. Is that due because of the aging of the baby boomers, or is it just something that you're seeing across all ages? This is across most age groups. And in fact, there's a very, very severe form of inflammatory bowel disease that quite honestly, I had never heard of until about 15 years ago. And it's called very early onset inflammatory bowel disease. And that can occur in newborns, and neonates. 
this is a very severe form of inflammatory bowel disease and the only treatment possibly cure is to have these very young children, in some cases newborns, be subjected to hemopoietic stem cell transplant, which has the possibility of curing or dramatically treating the disease, but it's a very, very costly and severe, potentially severe treatment. And so we see IBD across the board. Generally, it occurs in about the third decade of life, you know, folks in their 30s. But we're finding that more and more young people are suffering from these two diseases. It's not uncommon for pediatricians to see children developing ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. Is there anything that our audiences can do to maybe perhaps prevent that? Or is it just something that if they have, they're stuck with? Well, it kind of gets back to your question about good gut health. What you want to do is have a balanced diet, not loaded up with sugar and saturated fat. And, and the reason is, is to maintain good gut health, you want to eat a diet that will promote the colonization of what we call the good bacteria. These are the bacteria that live in the colon, live in the intestine, small intestine, that produce essential metabolites to keep the gut barrier strong so that potential pathogens are potential antigenic components of the diet will cross into the gut tissue. That's something you don't want. But these anaerobic bacteria, meaning they can't live in the presence of oxygen, they, they form these very tight groups. They produce what are called short-chain fatty acids like acetic acid and propionic acid and butyric acid. And these are absolutely critical critical for good gut health. If we start changing or eliminating those bacteria, either through um, multiple rounds of antibiotics or through inappropriate diets, diets that will reduce the numbers of these good bacteria, then we get into a situation called dysbiosis. What this means is there has been a change in the overall composition of the gut bacteria, and that could lead a possibly to certain types of inflammatory disorders within the gut tissue. Now, you mentioned diarrhea as something that people will experience. Is there something else that people might experience in their gut? How do they know that there's something not right going on? Yeah, pain is, a, as we all know, that, that goes without saying, pain is a major red flag. If you're having chronic pain, not a sharp pain, but necessarily but, but chronic pain over days or, or weeks, that's a telltale sign of something that isn't right. And that can be anything from, you know, having the motility of the small and or large bowel be dysfunctional, the movement of the muscle in the gut drives fecal material, drives your stool from your stomach down into your rectum where you can um, get rid of it through a bowel movement, and the muscular layers of the bowel have a, a number of different pain sensors, and they are the ones that can be activated during times of inflammation, times of inappropriate constriction of this muscular layer. Um, these are all sorts of things that can send you to the doctor. Pain is a major, uh, is a major red flag you know, severe constipation, severe diarrhea. Bowel health is viewed in these sort of terms. 
Also, pain as well as abrupt changes in bowel function and intestinal function can be a warning sign possibly for the development of colon cancer and has to be looked at very carefully to rule that out. Now, a few years ago, I remember there being a big advertising push for certain sorts of yogurts, and I'll see articles in magazines that say drink water for you know good health. Does any of that help? Yeah, there's been a lot of interest over the years in something that we've been involved in uh, since I moved back here to the Health Sciences Center, and that's in an area of research of how we might be able to manipulate the gut bacteria to promote gut health and to promote immune system health. And one of the ideas early on with eating yogurt or some of these other types of, I wouldn't want to say European type foods, but these uh, yogurt products have a lot of bacteria, what we consider to be beneficial bacteria in them. Uh, Some of them are called lactobacillus or called lactobacilli. They are thought to be good in promoting the health of the individual. Now, that has spawned a number of investigations to determine whether or not if we eat certain foods or certain substances that are rich in these types of bacteria, can we actually treat intestinal inflammation? Can we treat diarrhea? And in fact, if you have a dog, you've probably had episodes of having that dog with diarrhea and have gone to the vet. A lot of times the vet will prescribe what he calls probiotics. These are essentially very similar. Uh, The bacteria in probiotics are very similar to what's present in yogurt. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It hasn't been particularly effective in humans with inflammatory bowel disease. And that's really what we study. But there are procedures that have gotten a lot of interest over the last few years, a very, very important study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, oh, it's probably about four years ago, showed that in patients that have a recurrent infection of a bacteria called Clostridium difficile, or C. diff, antibiotics will not effectively treat that disease, or very few people are treated when you have a second infection. This promotes terrible diarrhea. This bacterium uh, will cause a situation very similar to ulcerative colitis. And what these investigators found that if they performed what they called fecal microbiota transplant, that is, they took healthy individuals, volunteers with normal communities, healthy communities of bacteria, and transferred those, transferred that of fecal material containing the bacteria into the patient that was sick, what they do is they take a tube that goes in through the nose and down into the small intestine. So you never have to taste anything. And they can deposit that healthy fecal bacteria. They not only could treat, but they stopped the study early because they found that the treatment was curing these patients of recurrent Clostridium difficile colitis. That was a huge breakthrough and opened up the floodgates for trying to determine what are the bacteria in a healthy microbiota that could actually reverse bacterial-induced inflammatory disease. That doesn't mean they can be used to treat someone with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, but 
people are working on that to see if it, they can tease out specific bacterial communities that could be used in inflammatory bowel disease. That's very interesting. Now, you had a study of your own uh, last year. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us about your study? I had a very gifted graduate student. She was a PhD student in my lab that had a project where we had had a model, a genetically susceptible mouse model of inflammatory bowel disease that we used for more than 16 years back at LSU. And when we moved to Lubbock, everything being the same, same mice, we had an animal care facility almost identical to the one we had back at LSU, our mice wouldn't develop inflammatory bowel disease, or it was very mild. And what we found was that when we moved out here, just simply having the mice in a different animal care facility changed their gut microbiota and made the animals resistant to developing disease. And we thought, well, if that's true, then we should be able to take the fecal material, the fecal pellets from the mice back in Shreveport, back from LSU, transfer those like the physician did in the New England Journal paper and see if we can resurrect the disease, meaning cause inflammatory bowel disease in our mice here in Lubbock. And sure enough, when we did that, we reestablished very severe disease here, indicating that not only can you inhibit disease by changing the gut microbiota, but you can actually induce disease simply by changing it or by using fecal microbiota from a diseased animal. So we've been very interested in trying to figure out what those particular bacteria are, those communities of bacteria that can cause disease in genetically susceptible uh, mice. And that's one thing I want to emphasize is although there's a genetic, there are genetic susceptibility loci in individuals that develop inflammatory bowel disease, just having the genetics alone does not result in disease. There's plenty of people with no genetic susceptibility that develop IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. And so it's probably a combination of the genetics and the microbial communities that dictate whether you'll get disease or you won't get disease. Whatever it is, over the last 60 years, 50 years, these diseases have increased quite dramatically. And many people feel it's a direct result of Western society, meaning North American societies, Western Europe, Australia. These societies have done a great job of sterilizing our environment to protect infants. So we've reduced dramatically infant mortality by reducing the number of infectious uh, microbes in the environment. But we may be paying a price for that extensive sterilization or elimination of bacteria. We may be eliminating good bacteria that we need early in the development of our immune system. That just uh, reminds me of stories my mother would say that we would eat mud pies or <laughs> we'd eat oh. I'm wondering if that is that related? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid growing up and kind of not out in the country, but, you know, on the outer edges of the big city, you know, we were barefoot, hand sanitizers. Are you crazy? Well, now we need them with COVID. But back then, there was no such thing as hand sanitizers. The pediatricians only gave you antibiotics if you were on your deathbed, essentially. You didn't just get them every time you got the sniffles. 
we stepped in all sorts of dog, you know, poo, walking around in the woods without any, any protection at all. I'm not saying that's what kids ought to do now, but we have to look at what it is that's happened over the last 50 to 60 years that's resulted in not only increases in IBD, but have also resulted in large and significant increases in all autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, all of these diseases that I just mentioned, including ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, have a common inflammatory signature when you look at this very carefully. They affect different tissues of the body, but they all have a very, very similar inflammatory pathways that, that appears to be due to our inability to differentiate self from non-self. You've also talked about a link between heart disease and poor gut health. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, really exciting work coming out of the Cleveland Clinic, which has one of the preeminent cardiovascular research and clinical groups of investigators. What they found is that the ingestions of certain foods rich in different metabolites, ingestion of large amounts of cheese and red meat, these types of materials isn't so much a problem related to cholesterol or lipids, which it can be, but it's the ingestion of certain metabolites that are in high concentrations in these foods that are metabolized by the gut bacteria to other metabolites that ultimately will get into the systemic circulation in your blood and promote the deposition of atherosclerotic plaques. They've done a great job showing this both clinically in humans as well as experimentally. If that you inhibit the enzymes in the bacteria of the gut that convert these materials to proatherogenic metabolites, that they can have an impact on subsequent development of atherosclerosis and heart disease. Very, very exciting and very new types of research. Now I have to ask, if people are experiencing more gut issues because of COVID. Yeah, and that's absolutely, I probably should have started with that because that's what I've gotten asked quite a bit. Interestingly, I was reviewing that about three weeks ago, just trying to bring myself up to speed because I don't study the virus. We have some people that are in our department, but there doesn't appear to be any increased risk or increased development of inflammatory bowel disease simultaneously with, with COVID infection. One of the problems with COVID and in certain individuals, it can induce diarrhea. Well, an individual with IBD doesn't need any more diarrhea. They already have that. There doesn't appear to be an association between COVID and increased risk or increased severity of IBD as we know right now. Is there anything you'd like to add? I, I think it's good to get the word out to folks that when they're experiencing discomfort, pain, as I said, for several days or, or several weeks, it's important to get that checked out by your primary care physician because it's something that we can really make a difference in preventing the development, for example, of a more chronic condition. And in some cases, as I said, with a disease called celiac disease, 
which is caused by a constituent of food, of breads especially, the constituent is, is gluten. If that's eliminated for the diet, you no longer have the disease. Now, most GI diseases, unfortunately, are, are much more complicated than that. But the sooner we, we look at those types of problems and get an idea of what's going on, I think there's a better chance to slow it down or reverse it. And of course, you don't want to go long periods of time with uh, GI symptoms because that could be a sign of the beginnings of colorectal cancer, which is a nightmare. All right. Well, thank you so much for letting us know or telling us all about our guts and for coming on our podcast. Sure. I appreciate it, Melissa. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Get On The Mend. If you like what you've heard, please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and family. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get on the Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center.